Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. I think our culture desperately needs medicine with a capital N. We are a culture desperately in need of healing. You know, unless we heal ourselves and our, and our own culture, we're not going to heal the planet. It's all alive. It's all connected. It's all intelligent. It's all relatives. Scientists tell us that concern with the environment will no longer be just one of many issues in this new century. It will move to center stage. It will become the context of everything, of our lives, our businesses, our politics. We are, in fact, moving from the information age to the age of biology. In this series, The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature, we salute the Bioneers, the biological pioneers who are working with nature to heal nature honoring both traditional native wisdom and modern scientific knowledge, restoring the earth by changing the world. In a scene in an old Star Trek movie, the one where the crew of the Starship Enterprise travels back in time to prevent the extinction of humpback whales, one of the crew gets shot, captured, and taken to a hospital. Bones, the Starship doctor, gets a panicked look on his face and mutters, We better hurry. You remember what 20th century medicine was like. He may be dead soon. For all the advances that modern medicine has brought us, it has also created at least as many problems. Think of toxic drugs such as chemotherapy so powerful that they kill as often as they cure, or the 100,000 people who die just in hospitals every year from drugs that are properly prescribed or the fact that patients have an average of 23 seconds to state their concerns to the doctor before being cut off. And then there's the fact that conventional high-tech medicine lashed to the HMO economy is hurtling the U.S. medical industry straight for bankruptcy. One result of all this is that today's medical system is shooting the rapids into a new kind of medicine. Starting in the 1960s, natural medicine sprang up as a counter-trend to industrial medicine and it has moved from being a small fringe phenomenon to a mainstream mainstay that over 150 million Americans regularly use. This profound shift in our entire approach to health and healing represents a new field of inquiry and action called ecological medicine. Join us for the next half hour as we look at ecological medicine, healing healthcare, with two medical bioneers, Dr. Andrew Weil, a physician, researcher, and author, and Charlotte Brody, a registered nurse who directs the innovative group Healthcare Without Harm. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. I think it's interesting that in our culture, the word medicine has become synonymous for drugs. You know, giving medicine is giving substances. It's giving things to people. And the particular kinds of things that we give to people are highly concentrated, potent chemicals, often derived from plants, but much removed from the original plant context, much concentrated in pharmacological power, and therefore also much more concentrated in toxicity. Perhaps more than any other single figure, Dr. Andrew Weil has helped bring natural medicine into the medical mainstream. Still a practicing physician, he founded and directs the program in integrative medicine at the College of Medicine at the University of Arizona. The author of numerous best-selling books, including Spontaneous Healing and Eight Weeks to Optimum Health, Dr. Weil has taken on the daunting task of refashioning a system that is in many ways in crisis. 
he suggests that we need to consider an expanded way of looking at health, healing, and human beings that he terms integrative medicine. Andrew Wow spoke at a recent Bioneers conference. One of my frustrations in traveling around the country is trying to get people to distinguish between complementary and alternative medicine and what I teach, integrative medicine. CAM, Complementary and Alternative Medicine, is a collection of modalities, techniques that are not currently taught in medical schools. And this is the term that's being used by the federal government. We have a national center of CAM at the National Institutes of Health. To my mind, CAM is one small piece of the transformation that has to happen in medicine. It's not just getting people to prescribe an herb instead of a drug. That is a limited a limited portion of what has to change. There's much larger things at stake now, and there are much greater possibilities given the economic chaos of medicine and the healthcare system. And I'll just list for you what I think are the larger visions of integrative medicine. By the way, the term integrative medicine is the one that is being used now in academic medicine. It's a neutral term. It suggests inclusivity. It's not a buzzword like alternative medicine. It's not a wimp word like complementary medicine. Uh, <laughs> You know, I think it's accurate, it's worked, doctors feel comfortable using it, it's, it's, think it's the one that should be used. But integrative medicine has a lot of things about it that are different from conventional medicine. I'm going to just list these and I'm going to talk about one of them in depth. One is a restoration, the focus of medicine on health and healing rather than on disease and treatment. Uh, in all forms of traditional medicine, in the Western medical tradition, there has historically been a very strong emphasis on healing, that the business of a physician is seen as promoting a natural function of healing. That perspective has disappeared. It's evaporated in the 20th century mania for technological intervention. It is very important to try to restore that focus. I mean, that's the point of a lot of my writings, is trying to build people's confidence in their own inner resources, in their own potential for natural healing. Another very important aspect of integrative medicine, which is not captured by CAM, is looking at people as whole persons, which means not just physical bodies. People are also mental, emotional beings. They are spiritual entities. They're community members. And those other dimensions of human life are very relevant to analyzing the reasons why people get sick and to thinking of ways to help them get better. Another very important aspect of integrative medicine is what I call lifestyle medicine. It's looking at all of the factors, all the choices people make, such as whether you're going to have a hamburger out here at lunch or those kinds of choices are very determinative of how you're going to fare as you age. And it's very important for doctors to investigate all of that. If a corporation tells you you've got eight minutes with a patient, even if you wanted to investigate that, you'd likely not be able to because you wouldn't have time to ask the questions. So medicine has to change to accommodate that kind of investigation of the total lifestyle that makes up a person. I hear so many people say that the rise and, or fall of this transformative movement will depend on research, on scientific evidence. You know, where's the data? Where's the evidence? Everything today is evidence-based. It's, it's research that's going to determine whether this changes or not. I don't agree with that. I am a proponent of research. I'm a believer in the scientific method. I have an active research program at the University of Arizona. But my feeling is that unless there is a change in the culture of medicine, we can produce evidence till we're blue in the face and nothing is going to change. So how do you change that? Well, one, one answer, Max Planck was asked around 1930 why so many physicists had such difficulty accepting quantum theory. His response was, physics changes funeral by funeral. <laughs> 
So, so time is on our side. Dr. Weil believes that a key part of changing the culture of medicine involves reviving the ancient relationship between medicine and nature, looking to nature's own ways of doing things. Now, let me come back to one of these aspects of integrative medicine not captured by CAM, which I think is most important, and that is the relationship between medicine and nature. It seems to me that much of what you are about in Bioneers is a respect for an appreciation of nature, a willingness to look to nature for solutions to general problems. I think medicine has deviated very far from natural wisdom in the past century, and it's done this, I think, very much to its, to its detriment. I would like to mention a couple of natural principles that I have observed in my experience of nature and in my work with patients and in observing my own body that I think are quite different from the principles from which conventional medicine operates that are examples of, of how things could shift. And let me talk first a, a principle about the differences between plants and drugs isolated from plants. When you find a plant in nature that has pharmacological bioactive effects. These effects are never due to one molecule. These plants always contain an enormous number of active molecules. We have fallen into the habit in the West because of our tradition of reductionism, of thinking that the activity of a complex natural phenomenon can be reduced to a single entity so that we identify the so-called active principle of the plant, purify that, think it is better medicine to treat people with that isolated molecule or even to monkey with the molecule to make it even more potent, and we dismiss all of the rest of those constituents as being inactive. That's one of the reasons why we've gone on this path of exclusive reliance on these potent chemicals that cause 100,000 people to die every year in hospitals alone. Now, when I look at these arrays of natural compounds in plants, one of the things that strikes me is that they are often related molecules. It's like a, you know, there might be one molecule that's there in the greatest amount and that does most of the interesting things that the plant does, but then there'll be a whole cascade of molecules that are variations on the theme. I mean, this is the way nature does it. It's, it's like a theme and variations. That's the natural, the way nature looks. Often, in this spectrum, there will be compounds that have opposite effects. There will be agonists and antagonists. There will be, if you look at the whole, it's paradoxical or ambivalent. Now, what happens when you present the body with this ambivalent array of molecules? In a way, you're letting the body decide how to respond. You know, it responds based on what it needs. Now, here's the problem that I find. If I try to talk about this with most scientists and pharmacologists, the thing that most pushes their buttons is if they think I am attributing some kind of mystical properties to nature, that nature and somehow knows something that they don't, <laughs> and, and that nothing pushes the buttons of scientists more than somebody they see as promoting mysticism, meaning something you can't understand. All right, I think this is totally understandable. And I was very delighted some years ago, uh, um, someone who I didn't know well at the time, but who has since become a, a good friend, uh, Ralph Snyderman, who's the chancellor of Duke University Medical School, and he and I work on this Dean's Consortium. He's a rheumatologist who's still involved in bench research, and he listened to a lecture I gave on this subject. And I was talking about other analogies, like flavors, for example, that strawberry flavor is 
a similar array of molecules. It's not just the one ester which is taken out and synthesized as synthetic strawberry flavor. And he lit up and said that he could see a mechanism that would explain this, which has to do with which receptors are available for binding. You know that all of our thinking about drugs whether produced in the body or given from without, is that in order to work, a drug molecule has to bind to a receptor, which is a specialized protein molecule on the surface of cells that respond to it. And once that combination of a drug and receptor is made, then the activity follows. It is perfectly possible that what determines the action of these ambivalent, complex, paradoxical natural arrays is which receptors are available. That takes this out of the realm of mysticism into a realm of researchable science, and I'm sure that this is correct. It also explains how a plant like ginseng could both raise low blood pressure and lower high blood pressure in some people. It's the same kind of bioarray. Now, also, I find it very interesting that if you look at other areas of science, in mathematics, in physics, there is a tremendous rise at the moment in complexity theory. We see that if we're trying to model nature, understand nature, we can't use classical models that are simplistic. We need complex models that are much more difficult to manage. I think this applies to pharmacology and pharmacotherapeutics and to medicine. But at the moment, those ideas, which are mainstream now in physics and mathematics, have had absolutely no influence on medical theory or medical thinking. You know, if medical scientists want to be scientific, they've got to get in line with these changes that are happening in other areas. This is just one example of what could happen if this, if this transformation got going. Let me remind you that this movement in medicine is still, at the moment, consumer-driven. The theorists, the institutions are being dragged in this direction. There is enormous resentment on the part of people that these changes are coming from consumers rather than being directed by scientific research. Fine, just keep the pressure on. Whatever you're doing, you know, keep the pressure on because it's working. Dr. Andrew Weil, the author of Eight Weeks to Optimal Health. This is Ecological Medicine, Healing Healthcare. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. One key idea of ecological medicine is to honor the Hippocratic principle to first do no harm. In this spirit, people within the medical profession are working to eliminate toxic medical practices that make people and the environment sick. The leading group in this field is Healthcare Without Harm, which since its beginnings in 1996 has spawned 423 member organizations in 51 countries around the world. The group has successfully shut down medical waste incinerators that are the biggest source of dioxin air pollution in the United States. Dioxin is linked to neurological damage and other serious health harms. When the group started this campaign, there were 6,000 such incinerators in the U.S. Today, there are fewer than 800. Healthcare Without Harm has also successfully reduced the wide use of toxic PVC plastics and phthalates used to soften them. As co-executive director of Healthcare Without Harm, Charlotte Brody has witnessed this extraordinary change in medical practices. As a registered nurse, she has a surprising view of one major reason for the group's success. 
importantly, we've um, worked to get health care to take responsibility for both the volume and the toxicity of waste and to broadcast the good case studies um, from hospitals giving away their kitchen waste to organic farms that then sell back the organic produce to the hospital to places that have figured out how to recycle almost everything to healthcare systems that have demanded and won reduced packaging and just made the kind of smart reduce, recycle, and reuse decisions that a lot of us have figured out for ourselves. And more importantly, to really recognize that the healthcare sector, for example, in this country, can be up to 30% of the GNP, depending on how you calculate it, so that anything we can do in healthcare to shift towards greener buildings, to shift towards greener, cleaner materials, to no longer think that the way we solve problems is to shift the risk between patients or workers or the environment, but to actually figure out clever ways to reduce the risk and to adopt a weight of the evidence, burden of proof, precautionary approach that really encourages the substitution problem with the idea that if we solve the problems we can figure out how to solve today in healthcare, that experience will give us the capacity to solve other problems that now seem impossible to solve. So in all of the victories that we've won, and it's really been sometimes quite surprising what we've been able to win in the six years we've been around, the leadership of nurses and other women healthcare workers has been almost embarrassingly obvious. The doubters, the naysayers, the attacks from industry have been overwhelmingly male. So I want to make some observations about why this gender gap has existed for healthcare without harm and why I think it's important to our understanding of how we might grow the field of ecological medicine. Charlotte Brody refers us to revealing research about women's psychological development and the difference between moral decision-making among men and women. What researchers have found is startling and worth a closer look. Brody points out that psychologists such as Sigmund Freud and Jean Piaget found that women seem less attuned than men to a sense of justice and more influenced in their judgments by feelings of affection or hostility. As boys grow up, they become increasingly focused on the legal elaboration of rules. On the other hand, for girls, rules are pragmatic and matter only if they make the game better. When they don't, girls are ready to make exceptions. From this perspective, the pragmatic tolerance shown by girls prompted these psychologists to conclude, taking a distinctly male's-eye view of the world, that girls have a less developed legal sense, which these men believe was essential to moral development. Using the same kind of thinking, other psychologists described six stages of moral development in both men and women from childhood to adulthood. On stage three, or level three, morality is seen in interpersonal terms. It's about helping others. Beginning at level four, rules become more important than relationships. At levels five and six, considered to be the highest stages, relationships become subordinate to universal laws. Brody believes that it's precisely this kind of girl's eye view of so-called moral development that has propelled the success of healthcare without harm. Girls' morality, the lesser kind, is about relationships and responsibilities. Male morality, the higher kind, is about rights and rules. Objectivity is the highest moral value. Making things better is for moral weaklings. 
So how does that definition of higher and lower morality translate to health care? If objectivity is the highest moral value, we build medicine as a scientific field of replicable proofs of cause and effect. The scientific method, tuberculosis is caused by a bacillus, athlete's foot comes from a fungus, older mothers have a higher rate of Down syndrome children. Proving cause and effect is good stuff, but when you're trying to figure out how people get sick, when you're trying to figure out the link between health and the environment, proving cause and effect can be almost impossible. We don't have, and we may never have, this kind of legal proof that a particular child's learning or behavior problems come from mercury exposure, or the dioxin from a certain incinerator, or the increased cause of autism in California cause an increase in health problems, or that an increase in birth defects of the penis or human male infertility is conclusively caused by phthalates. So the current medical and legal model is stuck with a set of rules that don't fit reality. The rules tell us to look for a single cause of disease. The rules make medicine focus on clinically proven treatment rather than on logical but unproven methods of prevention. Medicine favors objective surgery over the subjective alleviation of suffering. We can't prove that taking action to reduce dioxin, to phase out PVC, to stop using mercury, to reduce air pollution will reduce a particular patient's disease. It isn't like an appendectomy, a proven cure for a particular patient with a unique set of symptoms. And in medicine, what we can't prove, we ignore. And in a world where the health of industry matters more than the planet and life upon it, Industry keeps raising the bar for how much proof you need before you can take action. In nursing, we're held to a lower standard. We are forbidden to diagnose. That logical ordering of facts to reach a conclusion is too objective for our training. We are not a moral level six profession. We are licensed level threes. We are there to help. As lower moral beings... Nurses are allowed to think that information can be put to good use, even if it doesn't add up to absolute proof. Observations matter. Emotions matter. Intuition matters. Warnings can be listened to if there's something logical and practical you can do to stop the problem before it gets any bigger. That we may not know everything there is to know, but we do know enough to help makes a difference. That is that it is more important, more moral to do something to help than it is to win a rule-laden game. In healthcare without harm, this thinking like a girl, in nurses and in non-nurses, in women and in men willing to think like girls, has allowed us to win many significant victories, not in Congress, not in the courts, not in the arenas where the rules are everything, but in hospitals and clinics and markets and communities around the world. Fish have less mercury, breast milk has less dioxin, baby boys will soon have less phthalates because we're giving people permission and practical ways to think like girls. So finally, I want to suggest to all of you that thinking like a girl is good medicine for each of us and for the world we live in. It's important to recognize that it wasn't the gods, but a bunch of guys that decided that rules matter more than relationships. It wasn't the gods, but a bunch of guys that decided that the highest value should be based on objectivity and the subjugation of feeling. It wasn't God's own truth. It was their opinion, and opinions can be changed.
Thank you. Indeed, opinions are changing, and they're changing rapidly as the success of integrative medicine and healthcare without harm unquestionably show. Again, Dr. Andrew Weil. I want to conclude with two thoughts. The first is that in a lot of my travels in Native American cultures, in other parts of the world, I've always been very struck at how frequently people talk about medicine. This is clearly a central concept in people's experience. But most traditional peoples use the word medicine in a much broader way than we use it. You know, when, when Native Americans talk about medicine men, medicine women, medicine songs, medicine places, medicine rocks, clearly this has something different than what we talk about medicine, which is giving drugs to people. Uh, and, and this larger medicine that I call medicine with a capital M includes what in our culture has been separated off into areas of religion and magic, which are really are about you know, how to change reality by changing perceptions of reality, for example. Uh, a, a medicine man is a doctor not only of physical bodies, but a doctor of situations, a doctor of souls. I think our culture desperately needs medicine with a capital N. We are a culture desperately in need of healing. You know, unless we heal ourselves and our, and our own culture, we're not going to heal the planet. So this is one reason why I feel very committed to work for change here. There's a great deal of collective consciousness bound up in medicine and health. If we can get the greening of medicine going as it's happening, there will be a tremendous spillover effect to other areas of our society, which will be very beneficial for all of us. So this is a key piece to push on. And I come back to what I said at the beginning. It's happening not because of intellectual argument. It's happening because of inexorable economic forces which have developed and are irresistible. It is the collapse of the conventional system economically which is the creating the possibility. I think you've got to keep that in mind. Dr. Andrew Weil. These broader views of medicine, Andrew Weil's Integrative Medicine with a capital M, and Charlotte Brody's work for a health care that does no harm, where emotions matter and intuition matters, point to a medicine not of pills and machines, but a medicine with a human face and beyond, leading us to an ecological medicine, healing health care. To find out more about the work and writing of Andrew Weil, Charlotte Brody, and all the participants in this series, and to find out more about the annual Bioneers Conference, Call Bioneers toll-free at 1-877-246-6337. That's 1-877-BIONEER. Or visit the Bioneers website at Bioneers.org. To become a member of the Bioneers or to buy a cassette tape, CD, or transcript of this program, please call toll-free 1-877-BIONEER. That's 1-877-246-6337. To read more about the work of the Bioneers, check out the Bioneers Anthology book series, including Ecological Medicine, Healing the Earth, Healing Ourselves, and Nature's Operating Instructions, The True Biotechnologies, published by Sierra Club Books. The Bioneers' Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Kenny Ausubel and Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Diane Solomon. Associate producer, Stephanie Welch. Production assistants, Christina Moore-Maruni and Ginny McGinn. Distribution and promotion, WFMT Radio Network. Original recordings provided by Conference Recording Service. 
Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Ryko Disc label. Additional music was made available by Sequoia Records, available at sequoiarecords.com. For more music information, please visit Bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in restoring the environment by changing the world. This is program number 0204.